0: Welcome to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com, a place to talk about the experiences that we call life. We'll share the sorrow and the joy that makes this earthy existence real and makes us who we are. Now, here's your host, Renee Steelman. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me. I am so happy to have uh, an opportunity to, to have a radio show this beautiful uh, morning, this celebration of Martin Luther King Day. Um, It's a a very special day, and it means a lot more to me than it did before, and I am ashamed to say that. But my husband and I just got back from a visit to Memphis, and then we went from Memphis to Nashville. And we took the opportunity of being in in Memphis to go and visit the um, Civil Rights Museum at the Lenore Hotel. Where Martin Luther King was assassinated. And I have to tell you, if you don't go to any other museums, if you're not even a museum person, you have to go to this museum. It is so well done and so easily um, understood and such a, it's a great place for families, for anyone of any age to really get a grasp of what the civil rights movement was all about. And it just, you know, you, you, unless something touches your life, you don't have a tendency to really grab it. And so, even though I grew up in a time where I was able to watch all the news reports and I've seen movies and I've seen everything, to actually be there, to be standing in that room at the Lenore Hotel and to to just go through that museum and see, Statues, bronze statues, lifelike replicas of the people that sacrificed and did so much for this movement, for just equality, just to be recognized, um, is amazing. And it definitely touched my life and changed my life forever. And what was, what's so ironic about that is that on my way home from this amazing trip that my husband and I had, I happened to sit next to a young lady that just was the frosting on the cupcake of this trip. And I have to admit, I'm not someone who likes to talk to people on the airplane. I purposely try to have a book in my hand. I like to have my headphones on. I really like to send that message that I'm not available. Please don't talk to me. I don't get away very often. I don't have a lot of time for solidarity. And so our solitude rather. And, and so any time that I can get a chance to just read a book and not be bothered, I take advantage of that. And usually I only have that opportunity on an airplane. So but I sat next to this young lady and I looked at her and she looked at me and there was just a connection there. And we talked the entire way from Nashville to Atlanta. And I just knew that that was a situation that we had both been placed in. And um, the other reason why I, I recognize this as a serendipity moment, that something that, that it was not just random that we were able to sit next to each other, was because my husband and I, when we make our own plane reservations, I always try to sit. We I try to place both of us on the aisle. So either across from each other or, or right behind each other. Because neither one of us wants to sit in the middle. Who wants to sit in the middle? And just because we want to be together doesn't mean that I always have to be the one that gets smashed in the middle seat. But we didn't make our own plane reservations this time. We let a travel agent do that for us. So guess what? I had the middle seat. and But that gave me the opportunity to sit next to this beautiful young lady. And I have to tell you, she has an aura around her. She is happy she is positive, her eyes are bright, there is no, um there is no anger or anything in her whole persona. And so you're just attracted to her. And so I just knew immediately that we were going to be friends. And I asked her if she would be willing to be a guest on my radio show. Almost immediately, I had the A little whispering in my mind that said, you need to ask Marion if she would be a guest on your radio show. And so let me give you a formal introduction to Marion Jones. Now, I know what you're thinking. The first thing that you're thinking when I said that I sat next to Marion Jones, you were like, you what? You sat next to the famous track star, Marion Jones? And I I didn't. I didn't sit next to the track star, Marion Jones. I sat next to a Marian Jones that's going to be a star in her own right and in her own way and in her own time. Let me tell you a little bit about this young lady. She was born in Mississippi. She was born in Jackson. And she has a story I can't wait to share with you. And when I tell you her story, you're not going to believe that she received a bachelor's degree in communication from the University of Southern Mississippi and that she has earned a master's degree in public administration from the City University of New York in New York City, and when I tell you, like when Mary, I'm going to let Marion tell you her story, but you're going to be amazed that she was able to achieve that. She is now uh, working for the um, American Addiction Center, and she um, she has worked in training and development industry for. Over 10 years, over a decade. And now she, she works in corporate training and business development for the American Addiction Center and which is a substance abuse treatment company. And she resides in Brentwood, Tennessee at this point. So she has achieved so much at her young age. And when I, when she tells you how she got to that point, you're going to stop the little pity party that you're having today. If you were having a pity party and you're going to be getting down on your knees, and you're going to be thanking Heavenly Father for the gifts and the opportunities that you were given. So, Marianne, I'm going to start, stop rattling on here, and let me introduce you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Renee,
1: you are incredible. Thank you so much for having me. It is, I'm so excited. I just have been excited since that plane ride, and your spirit is phenomenal. So I am just grateful for the opportunity to be on your radio show today, and uh, I'm thrilled. I'm excited.
0: Well, I'm excited as well, and and I really want you to, you know, if I ask you anything that you don't feel comfortable sharing, please say, ah, I don't want to talk about that today or whatever, but sure. I was just inspired to have you tell me my story, your story on that airplane ride because when you started telling me how young you were and yet you had this position, you know, at corporate training and business development for this addiction center, you were on your way to on a business trip and you were so excited and, and, and I just, well, tell me a little bit about a background. Where did you grow up? And tell me about your family and, you know, just kind of the common questions that you ask a new person when you meet them. And then you started telling me your story and I'm like, wait, wait. You have a bachelor's degree. You have a master's degree. How on earth did you achieve that when you're telling me about the upbringing that you had? So start from the very beginning. First of all, you told me that you were not raised by your biological mother and father. And so then I asked you a little bit more about, well, were you adopted? And then you told me your story. So tell our listeners about your birth story and, and a little bit about the seven women that were so influential in your life. Absolutely. So, um,
1: you know, first I just have to start by saying, Renee, it was nothing and it has been nothing but God's amazing grace. Um, I have literally lived my entire life with just God's grace uh, surrounding me and covering me. And so I was born in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, I was actually my mother's fifth child. So I was, I'm the youngest of five. I was her fifth child. And I want to say my mother had me when she was 24 years old. So if you can just imagine a single parent uh, now birthing, giving birth to her fifth child at the age of 24. I can't even imagine giving birth to one child at the age of 24, but at that time my mother was unable to to care for me. And so through a series of circumstances um I you know there there are a few variations of this story but uh, to just make a long story short my mother um left me with a woman in the neighborhood who we call Mama Liza who was essentially like the grandmother of the neighborhood so she left me uh at Mama Liza's doorstep and 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 that's who raised me for the first 7 years of my life so I lived with this family in the community in Jackson, Mississippi, in subdivision number one. And so when people talk about just the village, it takes a village to raise a child. I literally am the product of a village. And I was talking to you during the plane ride about just this is my, my lucky seven years. So my birthday is next month and my, the, the numbers of my birthday, they add up to be seven. And so I was telling you that there's so much significance Surrounding the number seven for me. I mean, biblically, seven talks about just the number of completion. But for me, I've had a lot of experience that happened at seven. At seven, I talk, talked about Mama Liza raising me the first seven years of my life. And uh, after she passed away, I moved in with another relative in that family who I lived with. And she is also a part of the village of women that raised me. So I have had literally seven women who, from the time I was a few months old, when my mother um, transitioned, made the decision to leave me with Mama Liza um, at her doorstep, I've had seven women who played a significant role in my life. And um, one of those women uh, I lived with until my 11th, until my senior year of high school, and um, she... Uh, took me into her home and cared for me and was my mother during that chapter of my life. And in my senior year of high school, I met my 11th grade teacher, uh, Diane Jones, who became my mother figure during that chapter of my life. And so <clears throat> I had Diane Jones, and then I, I finished my senior year of high school through a series of circumstances. I think I mentioned to you that one day um, my senior year of high school, it was September my senior year of high school, I got on the bus, and I went to school, and I never went back home. And um, that story is 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 another chapter of a book uh, within itself. But um, I have I had my 11th grade teacher that that uh, served as that mother figure for me during that transition. And then I had an aunt Etna who allowed me to complete my senior year of high school and took me in as her own, and I lived with her. And then I went on to attend the University of Southern Mississippi, and I met. Um, Jeanette Daniels, who became my my mother, my undergraduate mother is what I call her. She nurtured and cared for me and was just there for me every step of the way through every high and every low that I experienced during um, those four years of my life, um, even through the election of me being named Miss University of Southern Mississippi. I just remember she, all the newspaper articles, everything that happened during my undergraduate experience, she captured that. And I now have this scrapbook that she created for me. Um, so she's one of those women. I have two best friends, and both of their moms are part of the that journey as well. I have uh, Janice Phillips, who is my best friend, Melissa. That's her mother. And then I have a, a best friend, Kavita Williams, and her mother, Bessie, um, was is a part of that, that village of seven. And so I, I literally have these seven women who during various chapters of my life, God strategically placed them there to be all that I, that I needed. And so when I was growing up, I struggled with, I struggled with the fact that, you know, I always looked at, you know, my mother, my biological mother left me or she, you know, abandoned me or she, you know, she gave me away, so there was something. There, there must have been something about me. She didn't want me and she didn't take care of me. And you know, why did she decide to keep her older two children and not me? And so, and I questioned a number of things. but now, you know that I've gotten older and a lot wiser, and I, I think I share with shared this with you on the plane, it was one of the greatest blessings that could have ever happened to me. For my mother to be selfless enough, to say, I'm not in a position to give you the quality of life that I desire for you. So I'm going to, I'm going to surrender. You know, at this point, I'm going to, and I talked to you about just uh, a really great friend of mine. Um, David Heal recommended this one day. I was asking him about, tell me, tell me about some books that you've read that have really just influenced or impacted your life in a significant way. And he told me about this book, Victory Through Surrender. And I just believe that I believe that statement that there is victory through surrender. And I think even when my mother surrendered me, you know, at three months old, there, there was victory because she allowed someone else to do and to be what she could not be for me during that time. And, and it was a blessing. And so I, I, you know, I'm grateful for that. And so I, I think, And I don't know where there's so much to this story and you can just feel free to jump in if there's anything specific. Well,
0: well, exactly, Mary. And I think what I loved about your story was if you were just to sit down with someone and 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 tell, you know, the story about these amazing women that that helped you that were there for you, someone would say, oh, okay, well, your mother gave you up as a baby and dropped you off on the doorstep of Mama Eliza. And then you lived happily ever after because people showered you with hugs and kisses all your days and you, and held your hand and guided you along. But the truth is it, every place that you ended up was still a struggle. And, and that's what I found so amazing was a exactly what you said, even when you were not always put into a home that was the best for you. I mean, there's a lot of people. Who take in foster care, who take in the care of other children. And they do it they do it and they and then and I'm not saying that they do it for any ulterior reasons. They might have a, a kind heart where they know this is something that they should do and they're doing what they know they should do, but that doesn't necessarily make them a nurturing person. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that your mother saw something in you And, you know, you mentioned a few times that you'd run away. You didn't like the place where you were living and you weren't necessarily treated extremely well in the place that you were that you were living and you would run away and you and that you knew and that your biological mother was down the road. I mean, you knew her. You knew where she lived and you could go back there and she would put you in the car and drive you back because in her way. She just knew that you, someone else could do better for you than she could because yeah, she saw so something I, in you.
1: So I'll just speak to that. You know, I, um, and I can just be transparent and very open about this. Um, and I, and I want to make it very clear that I appreciate the, the environment that I had an opportunity to grow up in during the first, um, you know, 17 years of my life after right. my life when I when I transitioned into the house with another relative in that same family um, I appreciate that foundation that was there I appreciate the everything the sacrifice that, that that the sacrifices that were made because you have to sacrifice not just to take care of your child but to take care of someone else's child so I was I I, lit, I grew up in this home and um, you know and, and I, I shared this story because we lived behind a picket fence and so, but there were, you know, there are things that happen in a household that only the people that live in that household are aware of. So there were some, there were some challenges. And I'm sure there were cha- challenges in raising a teenager. And for me, growing up right. feeling like I had been abandoned and, um, and dealing with some things in that environment. And so I ran away several times. I remember the first time I ran away, I think I was maybe eight, eight or nine wow. years old. And I, and I wrote a letter and I, you know, I went to school and I left my key on the door. And I just thought, finally, I'm getting away from this environment because I wasn't happy. I wanted to be with my biological mother. I knew my biological mother. I had known her my entire life. In fact, the elementary school where I attended, I attended the Elementary School in Jackson, and my, my biological mother actually lived in an apartment complex right directly across the street from my elementary school. So I always knew where she lived, and I always desired to be with her. And so of I make several attempts to run away, and I remember the last time that I, I ran away. I think at at this, at that point maybe I was uh, I think I, I'm not even sure I was I had to be a teenager, maybe about thirteen or thirteen or fourteen, and I ran away, and it was probably my maybe second or third attempt at running away, and I packed some clothes and I went to my mom's apartment and. My mother told me, she said, no, you, you are not, you are not staying here. You cannot stay here. And I, and I went through the, you know, the same process that I had gone through before. You know, I was torn emotionally. So I'm sure I cried and my mother, um, told me to get in her car. So we got in the car and we drove through the neighborhood. So this, this apartment complex was only about not, not even five minutes from the house that I was the house where I was, where I was living at the time. And so I remember my mother driving me through the neighborhood. And um, we stopped, you know, we stopped on this street, uh, which was a block over from the house where I I was living, and she said, I'm just going to tell you, I cannot provide the type of life for you that will be a good life for you. So it's not going to be a good outcome for you. And basically what I can offer you, basically what she said is what I can offer you is just a life of self-destruction, and this is not going Mm -hmm. to be the type of life that I desire for you. And my mother lifted her. Her um, she lifted the console to, in the in her car, and uh, and she pulled out her gun and she said, "If you are going to make a decision to stay with me, that's going to be a decision that's going to destroy your life. So before I allow that to happen, I will destroy your life myself. So you decide." And I remember being terrified, and um, and I was hurt. And I cried, and um, and so we eventually made it back to the house where I grew up, and we were in the driveway, and she said, so you can make a decision.
0: We can end it,
1: you know, this way, or you can get out and, and and basically walk toward a path that is a better opportunity for you. And so I got out of the car, and I cried all the way to the doorstep, and I went back inside of a house where I did not want to be, um, but... You know that that was the option that I had, and I and I stayed there. And so eventually, yeah. uh, about three four years later, when when I was approaching my senior, you know, I was my, my first semester, of my senior in high school, when I left. I was just shy of 18 years old, so I knew at that time that I went, if I made a decision to run away, I, I could probably just. My mother at the time had moved away. My mom had moved out of the city of Jackson. She was living in Memphis, Tennessee. So I, I said, you know, when I got on the bus. My senior year, I said, you know, this time when I leave, I'm almost 18, so I, I just have to, I just have to look ahead, you know. I just have to really mm-hmm. look ahead. I, you know, I made the sacrifice, I stayed, and um, and I learned a lot, and um, and and it in, in every experience, I think all of it made me, you know, the person that I am today, and I've grown from it, and and so what right. I, I can say is. You know, we don't all we can't always connect the dots in the beginning. We don't understand it. You know, there were there were days there were literally days where I I hated being where I was. And right, you know, right. questioned God, you know, why am I here? Why am I growing up in this environment? I never knew my biological father. You know, why am I the person who I don't not only do I not have my mother in my life, but I don't even have my father right. in my life. know, so why me? So I questioned and but you know, now where I am now, I'm so grateful that that I had those experiences. And I think I shared with right. you this, the piece about my biological father's family. I don't know if you want me to get into
0: that. Yeah. Well, I was just, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, those of us who lived a pretty easy doggone life, um, we see movies. You know, we see the movies of uh, Blindside and other adoption-type stories or, or childhood stories and we think that, that as a, as a child, we think with our adult brains and we, we know now that our brains are not fully developed until around the age of 25. So teenagers, kids that are, you know, eight, nine, 10 up till 25, they're not even working with a full deck, right? Your brains aren't even mm-hmm. mature enough to really handle everything that's going on in your life. And so, yeah. so what, what I listen to your story, I hear the the strength that you had to to be able to not only be rejected once but to be rejected again and again and again by this mother that I you know I've understood from a lot of early childhood development um training that I've received that the, that parent child bond is so strong even in the case of abuse and stories are told of children who are in the hospital because of some kind of injury that they were given by an abusive parent. And yet they cry out for that parent. They want so badly to have a relationship with that parent. And it's not something that was taught. It's just something that's innate, that we want that connection with a, a mother and a father. And so for you to be rejected by your mother, not only verbally, but physically, to have a gun, you know, uh put in your face and told, you know, that if you don't stop this, I'm going to take you out right now because I cannot watch you destroy your life. I cannot imagine how you survived that and became the person that you are. But tell talk a little bit about, because I really want people to understand this process, um, you know, as you have no financial support, you are... Um, uh, you, what made you study, do your homework, and and finish your high school education enough to get accepted into a college? What was it so, about you that made you do that?
1: Okay, so, you know, thinking about, and, and just to add, you're absolutely right. You know, even when my mom, my mom pulled the gun out, you know, and, you know, basically said, you know, here it is. You know, we can end it this way or not. And And, and I can just tell you this. I and this is to this day, I love, but even when I was younger, I loved my mother so much. I mean I didn't grow up with my mother, but I have a I had a love for my mother. I longed to be with her every day and that's why I would continue to run away. I really wanted to be with my mother. There was nothing that anyone could tell me. They couldn't say anything bad about my mom. I just love my mother. So when you talk about just that bond that a child has with their parents, it it was so true and even rejection after rejection, I just, I, I loved my mother. I wanted to be with my mother. And so, um, you asked about how did I, how did I finish high school? And, and I can tell you this, I don't even think I shared this with you on the plane. When I, that last attempt at running away, when I got on the bus, my, it was September, my senior year of high school, you know, and it was, it's cold in Mississippi in September. And I remember going to school. I got on the bus. I didn't take anything. I, so I didn't even plan out. I just said, I'm getting on the bus today, and I'm never coming back here. And that's what happened. And I got on the bus. And after um, after school, I got in touch with my older sister and told her that I needed somewhere to stay. So I went. My sister at the time was, um, I, I don't know, maybe uh, in her early 20s. And so she was, you know, living the life, so to speak. And so I, I went to stay with her. And I remember I didn't even have clothes to wear to school the next day. So I went through my sister's clothing clothes. But she had a bag of clothes in her closet. And I remember pulling out specifically she had this it was a matching outfit. There was a there were tummy heel figure shorts and the tummy heel figure um, a shirt to match. But here's the interesting thing about that outfit. These were shorts and this was a a, a shirt that was Tank top, and it was it was cool, you know, we we'll are getting to the point where, you know, we're transitioning in terms of the weather. I went to school in that outfit because I had nothing else to wear, and the shorts were not, I mean, they weren't really, really short, but they were short to the point where we had to, when I was in high school, we had to do the, the finger, you know, we had to extend our oh, arms, and right. if our shorts were shorter than the, you know, the extension of our fingertips, our fingertips, then we were sent to the principal's office. And if you were sent to the principal's office, they would say, basically, this is inappropriate. You have to go home. And let me tell you what happened to me. I remember my economics teacher, Mr. Johnson, I walked into his class. He saw my shorts. And in the shorts, my sister, you know, I was nothing but just uh, legs and bones. I was just kind of bones straight up in high school. I was really tall, thin, and lanky. And I could barely keep those shorts on me. But I remember just I I kind of had like a bulge with a belt because I just wanted to make sure they didn't fall off, but he sent me to the principal's office and they were gonna, I, I knew the process. They were gonna make me do the, the test, extend my hand, you know, extend my arm, and yeah. if I didn't meet that, I, I would have, I had to go home. And I remember stopping by the bathroom and I tucked my shirt in and I pulled the shorts down as far as I could without them falling off of me so that I wouldn't be sent home so that I could sit in class and continue through class. Now most people in my class they were doing the opposite. They were trying to find a way to get sent home for the day. You know, let me right. alter my clothing so I can go. And I just remember that moment stood out to me because it just showed my determination, you know. And my my professor, I, he reached out to me, and he said, and, and I think, I, so I, I came back. So I went to the office. They did the check, and they said, well, you're, you're short. They, they appear to be fine to me. Little did they know I went did the alteration of the bathroom, and I went back right. to class. Mr. Johnson was looking at me puzzled, you know, as if, what are you doing back? And I gave him the note from the principal's office. But I remember I wrote in, I wrote on the back of that note, I said, you know, I, I wrote something to the extent, Mr. Johnson, you know, I just left my home and the, you know, this is my sister, my oldest, this outfit belongs to my oldest sister, but this is all I have. I said, oh my I, don't have gosh. Any, I don't have any clothes right now. This is all I have. And he wrote back on a, um, he had a notepad that was in the shape of a bear. I remember I still have that note somewhere. I think I, oh I, have, my it, gosh. I have it somewhere packed. But he wrote back, and and, and it, and I can't remember the details, but something along the lines, you know, hang in there, you know, I'm praying for you. And I just remember holding wow. on to that note. And it was just, we didn't talk about it, you know, after class or anything, and I, you know, because I didn't want, it wasn't a, I wasn't meeting a pity party from anyone, and I just, it just right. was what it was. I didn't even process it. Right. I said, hey, I got through this day with the outfit. Tomorrow, I'll focus on what I'm gonna wear, and we'll just get through the next day. And so I, I, right. I went and I was staying with my sister just maybe for a couple of weeks. And my mother found out. Word got back to her in Memphis that I left. Um, that I left the home where I grew up, and my mom was not having it. She just said, you know, you're not going to stay with your sister and, you know, you, you can either find another relative or someone else, another housing option, or you, you have to go back. And at that point, it was just, you know, it was maybe six months shy of my 18th birthday. So I wasn't going to go back right. when I grew up. And so I remember everybody was calling around. The pastor from my home church was calling and saying, you need to go back and finish those last few months and different things like that. And people were trying to force me to go back and I just refused. So we reached out to a couple of relatives, you know, some people, and I just remember, and, you know, some relatives, I thought people would just say, hey, yeah, come on over. But when you talk about raising a child, and there's a lot of responsibility that I didn't know at the time that comes with raising and rearing a child or having someone come into your home and assuming the parental responsibilities. So fortunately, and I thank God, um, my Aunt Etna, she was just one of those calls were made. My mom reached out and my aunt Edna said, "Yeah, she can come over, and she can stay with me." And I went and I moved into the house with my aunt Edna, and I stayed with her to finish out my senior year of high school. And my aunt Etna lived in an entirely different uh, school district, so I didn't have transportation to school. The first, the first few days, I I, I took a taxi to school, and I was so embarrassed. Oh I, I took gosh. a taxi. To school. I remember telling the taxi driver to drop me off, you know, drop me off here. I, I would say, just drop me off here, and I would walk all the way up the hill to school because I didn't want anybody thinking, what's going on? She's taking, a, you know, a taxi. And then my Aunt Etna, one of her daughters, uh, one of her daughters started, uh, offered to take me to school. And so every day for, um, you know, probably the remainder of – I had, you know, for a couple of days, a guy from my school, Orlando, I remember Orlando, he actually took – he came to pick me up for my aunts a few times, but then I felt like yeah, I didn't want, uh-huh. I didn't have money to give him, so I didn't want to put the weight of just having him do that. So he did that for a few weeks, and then my aunt and his, uh, daughter, she, she took me, um, you know, she came by and she would take me to school, and I didn't even have, I remember feeling bad because I didn't even have gas money to give her anything, but she did that. Right. And that's how I got well, to school
0: and finished. Marion, uh, did the school district, was there, was there ever, you know, nowadays, if you don't live in that school district, they, they're like, sorry, you can't come here. Was, did they just understand that you were constantly in transition and they just kind of ignored the fact that you, you know, you were here and then you were here, but you didn't actually live in the school district, but that you were trying so, so hard to attend the classes and be in the same place. Did they just no. not look the other way? You know what? Um, just now that I think about it, I don't think I
1: ever went to the, I I never went to the principal's office to submit a formal change of address or anything like that. I just. So they just didn't know. They they didn't didn't know
0: what was going on. You just showed up and nobody asked any questions.
1: Right. Exactly. So I'm pretty sure all of my mail was still going to, to my, you know, the place where, you know, the, the, the address that they had on file. So no, I just, I do
0: right, that. right. Yeah. yeah, but the so. thought, the fact, exactly what you said about the fact that you look what you were doing to get to class. Somebody that was almost eighteen, at the age of sixteen, you could have easily dropped out of school. You know that would have made your life so much easier. But you mm-hmm. chose to climb mountains, literally and figuratively, to get to class to finish your education. What was it about? this, what was it about being educated that you were so, that you just knew you had to do? You know, I think one of the things
1: was growing up, you know, people, you know, people had their opinions of, you know, my mom's situation. And I would hear people say, you know, you know, you're going to be just like your mom, or, you know, you'll have, you know, you'll grow up and you'll be, you know, this poverty stricken lifestyle, or you won't be able to care for your children. And I just remember one of the driving forces for me was I felt, you know, I felt bad that someone else was put in a position where they had to take care of me and I was not their own. I felt Ah. so bad that I was born into this world and someone else had to open up their home, their financial resources, had to change, you know, had to give up some things in their own life to take care of someone that was not really their responsibility. And I just remember saying to myself, I don't want to ever, I never want to be in a position where I am forced to be someone else's responsibility
0: and oh. I never want
1: to also be in a position where I can't afford to take care of my family. I bring someone into this right. world and I can't care for them. And so I right. just wanted to, I wanted to just change the narrative. I wanted to yes. be different. I, you know, if my mother had, was selfless enough to say, I want to just give you a way so that you can have access to a better opportunity. You know what? I want to run with that opportunity, regardless of the challenges or anything that I had to face. I knew what I knew that there was something better that, that was ahead.
0: Right, right. That's such an amazing uh, example of, like you say, looking at and having people say you're going to be just like your mother. And as you mentioned, You were the fifth child, so you had four other siblings that you probably at some point looked at and said, you know what? All four of you guys, especially like you say, the first two who actually did stay with your mother, they were following that path to destruction. And so you could, you saw that, you recognized that and said, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to have that be my story. But how did you, okay, so you, I remember you telling me that you had a teacher, that's that helped you do your applications and, and 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 apply to go off to college, and then how so my, did you fund your college? So my 11th grade teacher Diane
1: Jones is just um, a coincidence. We share the same last name.
0: Ah. Um, my
1: 11th grade teacher Diane Jones was never able to have children, but my God, you know it's just. It's amazing how God has a plan, you know. Um we met uh she was my eleventh grade English teacher. And she is to this day one of the most influential people, has been one of the most influential people in my life and it started during, you know, our time together in English class. And she saw something in me, and I think I share with shared this with you. She always mm-hmm. told me that I was great. You know, she always said, you're so great. You're so smart. You have so much potential. You are going to be. She just spoke life into me. She spoke Uh, so much life into me. She told me so many great things about myself until I actually started to believe those things. I actually believed that I was going to grow up and do some great things with my life. I believed that there was so much talent and ability in me because she spoke those things into me with such a, with such just such an intensity that there was no way that I couldn't, I couldn't just extract that and believe it for myself. And so I remember right. during uh, one of our conversations, you know, she she said to me, she said, you're so great at communicating. You're such a great communicator. And English was my favorite subject. And she said, you're, you're great at writing. And I never thought that I was just great at communicating or writing. I knew that I enjoyed public speaking. I enjoyed... Entertaining people because it was an outlet for me, so I enjoyed, you know, just the, the, the title of making people laugh. I I enjoyed, you know, doing being the mistress of the ceremonies at events for my church and hosting things. So I loved the stage and, and the, the ability to communicate and engage and interact with people. And so she told me, she said, that's a strong gift and a skill set that you have. She said, and when you go off to college, you'll have to decide what your major is going to be. I had never heard of a major before. And she said, a major is just when you decide what you're going to, what your focus is going to be on during your undergraduate years. And she said, I think your major, you would be a great communication major. And she told me that, and so that's what I majored in. I majored in communication. And Ah. uh, she exposed me to so many things. I mean, she would pick, you know, during the weekend we would go, she would take me to these restaurants. Uh, that were not in my neighborhood, so they were right. like you know they were in North Jackson so she exposed me to so many things as you know during that time and um when I went off to school my freshman year when I began my prior to my freshman year, I remember she took me to uh, she took me to shop she took and bought a lot of my supplies i I, a lot of my uh, school supplies, things that I needed for my freshman year, I, I remember we did several stops. You know, we went to Target one trip and grabbed a bunch of things. And I remember us being in the line at Target and we were buying school supplies and the lady said, oh, you're getting ready for college. Oh, you must be excited. And she said, yes, you know, I, she said, and I'm even, I'm even more excited for her. This is my daughter.
0: And for the
1: same last name, we would just, you know, we would say that. And my 11th grade teacher, Diane Jones, is um, Caucasian and I'm yeah, African American. Yeah. So it would, you know, it would that would shut their mouths for a little bit, jazz. wouldn't it? So people would, yeah. people would go, and then when they was when they would find out both of our last names were Jones, I mean, they were really this. so we would laugh and just, you know, and oh my you know, gosh, kind of thought it was just thought it was hilarious. But um Renee, again, she was just so she was so encouraging. She was just right. so um, inspirational.
0: Well, and I think what you said was when she complimented you and she told you things you could tell that she was not just fluffing she was not just saying things that she thought she should say she honestly truly believed it and you believed her because you could tell that she was honestly telling you what she thought and and I I just think that's so important for people to understand that we can't just throw around things that we think the kids are supposed to hear. They, the kids are so smart. I have learned that with my grandchildren. You cannot mm-hmm. fool them. You're, the words coming out of your mouth can be one thing, but they are looking into your eyes and they see the truth. And I've been, I have been caught. My grandkids will say, Nana, you don't look happy, and I'm like, No, 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 I'm so happy. Just please go to bed. Please go to sleep right now. And they can tell by my eyes that I'm thinking, you better go to sleep right now, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, we just don't give children the credit that they are so smart and they know. But, it, but, so then, and how, what, who paid for your, for your freshman year? Like she bought your, your stuff that we all did when we took our kids to college. We got their, you know, their wastebaskets and all the stuff that you need for your dorm so, room. But so who actually so the, paid for college? So the interesting piece is, um, so she
1: she helped supply lots of the items that I needed for uh, my freshman year, and um, ironically, my biological mother, who was residing in Memphis at the time, she actually came out to to drive. She actually made the drive down to drop me off at the University of Southern Mississippi. So she came out and um, made that trip down um, to Aww. U.S. University of Southern Mississippi with me, and um, it's it's interesting. That was the that was the first. Time I saw her during my four years, and I think it might have been the last. So wow. she, it was, it was, it was kind of just like I don't know. It was one of those things where you know I'm going to experience this this next chapter with you for for a brief time, and then again I'm going to just I'm letting you go because you got you know you got your mothers that are a part of the village that you've yet to meet that are going to come and guide you along the path, and so wow. a lot. My, my undergrad that my mother uh, did not experience but again I had those mothers so my how my I, I actually I applied mo- most of my undergraduate um, most of my undergraduate uh, financial obligations were uh, paid for through student loans there was oh. um, there was a, a small scholarship that I received when I was in high school through um, a Robert Fortenberry hardship scholarship and it was an essay scholarship. And basically, you had to write an essay about, um, you know, why you think you are deserving of this hardship scholarship. And I mean, if anyone was deserving of a hardship scholarship, I would think, you know, I would think I probably would have a, a pretty good chance. And, and I just share with them my story. i I've talked about. I think you know, so. How, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of gave them a summary of my story and transitioning from, um, you know, leaving the S- September of my senior year and Living with my my aunt and just really just having the um, tenacity and really wanting to finish and, and wanting to make something of myself and I and I was a recipient of the Robert Robert N Fortenberry scholarship which um, which helped me out my freshman year and then I I took out a number of student loans just to kind of um, help fund the remainder of my undergraduate experience yeah.
0: Okay, so you basically uh, are one of these wonderful people with student loans that you have to pay off after you get out. So. Yes,
1: I do. I'm still living through
0: student loans right now. Yes. Oh my gosh! And you know, I love the story that you told me about how, I, and I just don't think people understand that you know, you go off to school, you're a freshman, you're staying in the dorms, but then Christmas break, spring break, summer break happens. Where do you go? I don't think yeah. people understand that not everyone has a home to go back to and not everyone has a car that they throw everything in the back of and, and they just, you know, travel. So tell us how that, how you came about getting some transportation and where you went it's, when it came time for break.
1: It's true. You know, I didn't even think about it. I just knew, you know, I was at, college, you know, I was in school and then, Spring breaks and different things. I, I met a great group of friends. So sometimes I would go and I would, you know, spend the weekend with them and their families. But I just remember summer break. You know, summer break is, you know, you can't just go and spend an entire summer break with a friend that you just met. And so I remember, you know, after my freshman year and I'm thinking, where am I going to go for the summer? Where am I going to go? And um, I had still been uh, communicating with my 11th grade teacher, but not as often as I had in the past, just was you know, being busy as a freshman now. And I reached out to her, and I ended up staying with her the summer after my freshman year. And so she was living in this area in Jackson, Mississippi, um, Bellhaven, this neighborhood, in a fourplex. Her, her brother owned this fourplex, but she was living in one of the units and kind of managing the property. And she was living on the lower level, and there was a lady that lived above us. Her name was Shannon. And so... My 11th grade teacher, who I call her my godmother, uh, Diane Jones, she had also, during the, during the time of me being away in college, she'd adopted through Catholic Charities, um, another, uh, high school, a high school, I think she may have been a sophomore or junior, and her name was Sam. And so Sam was from Vietnam, and so Sam was living with her. And so I went to stay with her for the summer because I was thinking, okay, where do I go? I I just only asked if I could stay with my aunt Edna through high school. And so I lived with her for that summer. And Sam and I we found out that this really cool neighbor we had, Shannon, lived upstairs. So we started to hang out with Shannon a lot. And Shannon was great. So my Diane, my 11th grade teacher, was more like our mother. She was the mother figure in our lives. And Shannon right. was like, big sister so any opportunity we could get to just get upstairs and spend time with Shannon we did and Shannon was great such a sweet person we became really close you know she found out about my story and just opened her arm I opened her arm her home and her heart to me and Sam to Sam and I she was really really sweet and so she found out I was going to be there for the summer and I was thinking well it would be great if I could have a job and she said well have you, have you started applying? And I, I remember telling her I had this interview at Old Navy. I was really excited. I, you know, it was going to be my first summer job. So she told me, she said, you know, I know you have this interview at Old Navy, but there's this guy that I work with who's looking for a babysitter. He's a really great guy. You know, she sold me on this guy. He's a really great guy, has a beautiful home, um, incredible children, and he lives a block over in the neighborhood and he really needs someone to babysit. And so I said, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, Old Navy has Old Navy discounts. I don't know if this <laughs> thing is going to give me the perks that I can get at Old Navy, right? I was set on Old Navy because I was thinking right. I could buy my clothes for school, go back to, you know, go back to my sophomore year, in you know, in style, right? Right, um, right. Um, I remember I met Michael. So Michael Potts. Shannon introduced me to Michael. Long story short, um, Michael was... Phenomenal, Michael and Kathy. Um, I think they, had, you know, they. I, I I don't know. I think they were kind of had just gotten married, maybe a couple of years prior to um, prior to us meeting. And so he told me, you know, I've got you know, I've got three kids, and here's the deal. And I told him, I said, well, I don't have a car, so I could walk to the house to babysit. But because he told me, he said, you know, and feel free, you can leave during the day, and you guys can go and get things to eat, and you can go and go to the mall and different places. And I said, well, no, you don't understand. I don't have transportation to do that. And Michael get, said, don't worry about that. You can use my, he he had a, a an SUV. I can't remember what type of 4Runner he had or something like that. But he gave me the keys to use his vehicle. Here's the other thing. I didn't even have my driver's license.
0: Oh, my okay, so, gosh. You're a freshman so, in college. Wow.
1: Freshman in college, no driver's license. So Shannon went out, purchased the book for me to study to get my, my permit my, um, my um, learner's permit. I got my learner's permit over the course of a couple of weeks, did that, got my license, got, got started the job with Michael babysitting for him, got the keys to this forerunner and his credit card, and he just said, take care of my kids, take care of the house, and do whatever else you guys want to do. And I just felt
0: like, oh, my God,
1: it, what is happening right now? It was one of the right. greatest experiences ever. So, well, the
0: trust. I mean, obviously yeah. they had such trust and faith in your ability to to do that. I mean, you could have taken that car and that credit card and said bye-bye, but yeah, they knew the that thing. you were trustworthy.
1: Here's a piece to add. Fast forward, it's time for me to go back to college, to back to USM. Michael says to me, I really, really, really don't want you to leave. Is there anything I can do? And at the time, he had a friend that worked um, at a college, in Bellhaven, Bellhaven College, which is now Bellhaven University. And see, so he said, Look, I can get you into Bellhaven, and I mean, you can probably get into Bellhaven on a full ride, something to that extent, whatever it was. Right. You know, right. Phone's um, going to be in the deal. And now, in retrospect, I wish I would have jumped on that opportunity, but I didn't. But just the fact that some, he said, You know, we have an extra room upstairs, you can stay upstairs, and you can go to school here. And, wow, it was amazing. So that experience happened. My first job, meeting Michael, having the opportunity to even stay and attend Bell Haven without the, the obligations of student loan. And right before I got ready to go to school, um, go back to USM, one day, Shannon, I was at my godmother's in her, um, in, in the complex where she lives. Shannon said, I need you to come outside. And I said, what? She said, yeah, I need you to come outside and check something out. So I went outside. I walk outside. There's this. Dark green Lexus ES300. Shannon gives me the keys, says, get in. She says, let the sunroof back. I get in the car, and she said, I want you to take this for a test. Like, get in it, test drive it. And I said, what? She said, yeah, you need to become comfortable in it because this is your car. My oh first my car. Shannon Sansane bought me my first car. Never had a car no. Didn't have to pay a car note. Gave me the keys, and I went back to unit to, to U.S.M. in my in my first car. So that and I that to is, I,
0: I, I, Marion I wish I had a, an entire another five hours to talk <laughs> with you, but we're going to be wrapping it up. But I think the most important message here is that a you did not do this alone. You had to have a team of angels in the form of human beings who were guided and inspired to help you achieve the life that you were meant to have. You could not do this on your own. And then I think the second message is you took those gifts and you did with them what God had planned for you to do with them. All of the opportunities that were given to you, you could have easily gone another direction. But you took those gifts, you recognized them for what they were, and you ran with them and you made them the blessings that they were. I think sometimes people think that when when Heavenly Father or God gives you a blessing, that Mm -hmm. it's some kind of a miracle that forces a person to become a different person. But I believe that blessings are opportunities that people then take advantage of in the correct way. And that's what you did. You took every opportunity that was given to you, and you used that to to be a better person and to 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 be on the path that you were supposed to be on. And and Mm -hmm. I think that's just so extraordinary that there are so many times that people are given second chances and third chances and small little gifts that they don't recognize and they don't use those gifts in the way that they were meant to 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 help the person and. That's such an important lesson, and I, I, I just I'm, I just cannot – I don't think this is going to be our last conversation, I, I guess. I'm, I'm <laughs> warning you. This is not going to be our last conversation, and I know that, you know, mm. you actually have a job that you have to go to, that um, you yes. actually have responsibilities that you have to go to, so I'm going to let you go, but um, I just so appreciate you sharing your story with us today and and setting the example, and I just – Hope that this that your story will enlighten others that they have to walk the path that others might put in front of them, but you have to do the walking, and you did the walking, and they might clear a brush away or or clear away a little bit, but then you have to be the one that keeps walking, and
1: and I and, think
0: that's and, it. That's that's the piece you
1: you've got to keep moving forward. You know, you right. you got to trust that you got to trust that 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 your path that everything that you need to be the person that God has created you to be is along that path. Well, you exactly. Gotta path. you got to stay positive. you got to keep encouraging yourself. You've got to keep looking ahead. And, right. and you got to do whatever it takes to just say, you know what, this might be, this is just a challenge. This is just a roadblock. This is just an obstacle that's in the way. But one of the one of the things that my 11th my grade teacher shared with me early on was Jeremiah 29-11. And it's one of my, it's just a guiding light scripture for me that says, you know, for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. And you just have to believe that those plans are good. You know, right. we can't always see it. We don't always understand, but the plan, the
0: plan is for good. Exactly. Thank you so much, Mary. And you go and thank have you. a great day. Oh, and thank you for great. sharing your story. That's Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. I just think that Marion is the perfect example. You know, I have such – I now have been enlightened, and I want to learn more about, um, you know, just the efforts and things that people have done to help other people to rise to what they can be. And some of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther King, one of them is, uh, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. I love that quote. And one of the other ones is um, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And I think Marion's life is a perfect example of what are you doing for others? What those people, Shannon who got a car for her and her godmother, you know, Diane Jones, what she did for her, that is what it's all about. What are you doing for others? And I just want to leave you today you know, a great man once said that the Savior cares more about our growth than our comfort. And tribulations, afflictions, trials, they're going to be with us. And it's just important that we remember that that was part of the plan. I hope that you really enjoyed listening to Marion's story today. Have a heavenly week. I will talk with you again next week. Bye-bye.